This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. Afternoon to you, I'm Brad Brown. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, on SAFM Sports Wrap. And uh, coming up on tonight's show, we'll be chatting to Neville Godwin. We'll be talking uh, his new role within Tennis South Africa. We'll take a look at the Volvo Ocean Race. Uh, The crews and boats arriving in Cape Town this past weekend. And we'll also unpack what happened in the first Ashes Test. That's all coming up on tonight's show. We start with some Sevens Rugby News. Blitzbox star Quacha Smith says he's still hungry for success in the shorter version of the game. Head of the season opening tournament in Dubai, the HSBC World 7 Series. The Blitzbox are current World Series champions and will hope to get their season off to a winning start this weekend. Smith, who will only play the first four tournaments of the season, says he'd like to try and make the 15-man box squad. Yeah, no, definitely the hunger will always be there to go for success and for me to do it for my brothers and even for the young guys coming in to give them the experience and to play with them and to meet them personally. Yes, definitely. I'm here with the sevens now, so my focus will be on the first four tournaments. And after that, I'll be focusing on becoming a Springbok in the Super Rugby season next year. On to some football. Ajax Cape Town travel to the Mbombella Stadium for their rescheduled APSA Premiership clash against Supersport United tomorrow night. The match wasn't originally scheduled for last weekend, but was postponed due to Supersport's involvement in the CAF Confederation Cup final. Ajax defender Mario Boysen, who spent some time on loan at Matatanza, says after Supersport's loss in the final to TP Mazembe, their opponents will fight back. I think it's still hurt. Obviously, you know, from personally, from a, from a footballer, you know, you don't like to lose in the final, you know, and especially um, when there's a lot at stake. But I think um, they're obviously going to come out and uh, try to make things right against us because they're also behind in the league, you know, so they just want get, to get on to the, get high up on the table. Poison says even though Supersport are a great team, the Urban Warriors need to control what they are able to control. We know the experienced squad, you know, they have good players, we respect that, but I think we, we should worry about ourselves, man. You know, put put even to effort into doing what we can do and control what we can control. Meanwhile, speaking of Supersport United, they've been fined $15,000 by CAF following Saturday's pitch invasion during the CAF Confed Cup final against TP Mazembe. Mazembe have been fined $5,000. In other domestic football news, Cape Town City striker Victor Obina's returned to full training that after he's recovered from a hamstring injury. Four matches to look forward to in England this evening. Leicester City taking on Tottenham Hotspur. Brighton welcome Crystal Palace. Manchester United travel to Watford, while West Brom take on Newcastle United. In tennis news, Kevin Anderson's former coach Neville Godwin's joined Tennis South Africa as a part-time high-performance consultant. Godwin will continue to coach on the ATP Pro Tour, but will provide his expertise to TSA whenever he is back in South Africa. A key focus of Godwin's involvement will be uh, to work with the new junior national age group squads that were unveiled by TSA in October this year. He'll also help to mentor and develop the next generation of South African high-performance coaches. Finally, in motorsport news, Aston Martin says it'll probably re-enter Formula One in 2021 as an engine supply if the rules are changed in a way that makes it more affordable. Formula One bosses have proposed new engine rules to reduce cost and complexity and attract new entrants, but existing manufacturers have objected. Coming up next here on SAFM Sports Trap, we'll chat some tennis. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. 
You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Big announcement being made by Tennis South Africa today. And I love the fact uh, that some of the legends uh, of South African tennis are getting their sleeves rolled up and uh, getting back involved with growing the game and uh, back here in South Africa. And uh, the announcement was that Neville Godwin is going to be joining TSA as a high-performance consultant. He joins us now. Neville, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Thanks so much, Brad. Uh, yeah, take it easy on the legend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. I mean it affectionately, and and uh, and the reason I say that is because you've done a lot for South African tennis. Obviously, you you're working a lot on the ATP tour at the moment. You've done some amazing things with Kevin Anderson, no longer his coach, but the last four years have been an incredible journey. And we'll chat about some of the things that you have done with Kevin. But uh, great to be back involved with South African tennis. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I've had numerous good conversations with Richard Glover, the CEO, and I think he's done a fantastic job. And it just felt like the time was right to, you know, they've been able to to put some, some good things in place. And, you know, they're trying to start some high-performance uh, stuff going forwards in the next uh, couple of years. And I'm very happy part of it, obviously, when I'm back in South Africa. There's some big changes that have happened in Tennis South Africa over the last uh, last year or so, and, and that's just coming from me on the outside. I'm just looking at what's happening. Obviously, a change in tax slightly with regards to the Futures tournaments and, and really trying to build up the youngsters and, and, and develop our game that way. Definitely. You know, obviously, to, to create some top players, you need to have a lot of people playing tennis. It requires so, so many people playing tennis. And, and our prime focus is going to be to, to keep people in the game. You know, when you have, let's say, 100 people starting tennis at 12 years old, if we can keep as many of those as possible in the game, then you're going to have a really good chance to, to grow the game even further. You know, the more people that play, obviously, the better chance we have of creating stars. Neville, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing tennis in South Africa as a sport? Not, not just high performance, but a sport in general in South Africa today. Well, the, the obvious ones are, are the, the, the financial restraints that we have and, you know, trying to expose our, our, our kids and our players as much as possible. Obviously, it's, it's incredibly expensive to travel and travel the world playing tennis. So, you know, we need to try somehow get them exp- uh, exposure, maybe if, if by bringing people into the country. And also, hopefully, I can bring some experience, you know, just from my roles of, of working on the tour. And as much tournament, as many tournaments as we can get in the country, and and get the, the guys travelling together and working together as a unit, it'll be so much better. You obviously wouldn't be getting involved with the organisation if you didn't think tennis in South Africa was in a good space. Are you are you optimistic? Do you think that we have got youngsters in the system now that could be the next Kevin Anderson, uh, uh, for instance, going forward? Thanks. Fallen short on the talent scale. We've always had plenty of talent. It's just a case of nurturing it. You know, unfortunately, there hasn't been that much financial aid to the parents of the of the kids playing tennis in the last sort of. Thing. And that's sort of the private sector. The parents having to fork out their money, bickering from the coaches. You know, obviously everyone's fighting to make a dollar here, here and there. But with Tennis South Africa sort of standing up and, and becoming more of a strong a strong structure, it really going to help us push forward and move forward. At, you know, where they fund, can help fund some of the kids and get them that exposure that they need. Never looking at some of the work you've done with 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 Kevin Anderson. I mentioned you've been involved with Kevin for the last four years. Uh, your partnership recently coming to an end. Uh, you must be pretty pretty chuffed with with what he's done uh, and 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 sort of your role in that uh, over the last four years. Yeah, I'm incredibly proud. You know, I've been very fortunate to work with Kevin for for the last four years. He's a uh, he's a consummate professional. He's he doesn't leave any stones unturned, and uh, it's been a learning curve as much for me. You know, working with him in the last four years, and 
uh, really privileged to to have been sitting courtside for so many of his great results in the last while and some of his classic matches. So uh, extremely proud of what he's achieved, what he's achieved. You know, he's a very, a lot of people like to give him slack, but he's a very proud South African and he supports South Africa in everything that he can. And uh, I think the country really should be proud of everything that he's achieved. Yeah, absolutely. Neville, you mentioned that uh, this role is when you are back in South Africa, you're going to be getting your, your sleeves rolled up. You're still involved with coaching on the ATP. How much time will you be spending in South Africa uh, sort of giving to this role? Uh, well, I'm 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 still busy uh, pursuing a, a, a different player on the ATP tour, which which I have not uh, been able to secure just yet. So we have to stay tuned for that one. But um, yeah, I'm looking to travel less weeks. Uh, basically, in the last four years, I've been doing about 30 weeks a year. So I'd like to cut that down to sort of 24, 26 weeks here, traveling maximum. So that'll leave me probably a good four five being able to to do some work in South Africa, which uh, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, obviously this is high performance for, with with players as well, but there's also a bit of a mentoring role for for coaches too, and and that's pretty important and a, and an aspect I think that's often neglected in the sport. Yeah, I think in every sport, you know, we have uh, as as coaches we have a, a responsibility to to communicate with each other, and uh, unfortunately, some in some certain sports and tennis is one of them. It, it falls down, the communication falls down, and certain coaches not willing to learn from other coaches. And um, hopefully, people will be happy to hear what I have to say, and they'll be happy to be able to sit down with me and have a chat, and you know, find out if I think they're on the right path or if they could maybe change tack slightly. And I'm really happy to help, you know. And not everyone, there's no perfect formula and there's no one coach for every single player. But if I can help anybody, I'm, I'm always willing to, to help out in any way I can. What are some of your goals for, for tennis in South Africa, Neville? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, our tennis, the, the standard of our overall tennis has dropped slightly. If you look at particularly Davis Cup, for example, and, and the groups that we're playing in. But if, if you could wave your magic one, five, ten years from now, where would you see South African tennis? Well, I'd, I'd definitely love to see us. Uh, you know, I think Lloyd is a really great, to, in the media future, I think Lloyd is a great shot to get into the top 100 in the world. I think Nicholas Skoltz is a really good player and with some work he can really push through and get a little bit higher in the rankings. And, uh, you know, I think he's, he's ranked, his highest ranking has been about 380, 370 in the world. And he's definitely a better player than that. So it'd be really exciting to see uh, him push himself and see what he can really extricate out of himself. Uh, as far as, and on the girls' side, we know we really need to get Pushing forward, Chanel Simmons is, is, is kind of a lone flag bearer of, of the women's tennis, and we need to push forward and get some more help and get some some girls up in the rankings. And obviously, with with the Davis Cup, the, the ultimate goal is to play in the World Group. So I think if we can get up there and, and you get you know sort of three, four, five, six players in the top hundred, top two hundred, and get us back to the, the status where you, you got a lot of guys out on tour, then there's a, a better force in numbers. Absolutely. Well, Neville, best of luck in your new role with Tennis South Africa. Uh, as tennis fans, uh, we all want to see the, the game grow and, uh, and South Africa right up there with the best in the world. We, we obviously really enjoyed uh, the work that you did with Kevin and, and amazing seeing him uh, in, in some brilliant performances. I mean, Grand Slam final, uh, you can't ask for more. And uh, yeah, long may it continue. And hopefully with your involvement, uh, we'll see more and more of that happening. Thank you so much, Brett. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource.
This is South Africa's news and information leader. And if you're into sailing, I'm sure you've been keeping a close eye on the Volvo Ocean Race, the second leg concluding in Cape Town and uh, the boats arriving this past weekend. Uh, it's been uh, an incredible uh, leg. Jeff Ailiff joins us now. Jeff, welcome on to SAFM Sport Trap. Uh, once uh, again, lots of excitement in the Mother City. Uh, these boats are incredible. And it, uh, it was a very, very exciting leg of the, the Volvo Ocean Race, wasn't it? Absolutely, Brad. Uh, a very good evening to you and, and great to chat once again. And, uh, well, since uh, 2014, uh, the, the whole concept of these boats would change and they've all become a, a single-make class. So it's really up to the individual tactics. And as you correctly said, it was a 7,000-mile drag race from uh, Lisbon. Uh, the teams left Lisbon and they, they were straight into some, some heavy, heavy weather. And, uh, well, they've arrived about 18 days, just a, a whisker over 18 days it took the leader, the Spanish boat, Mapfei, to, to arrive in Cape Town. But uh, such an exciting leg. And, of course, the other thing, Brad, is that the, the, the South Atlantic, uh, w- where they sailed, is just made up a whole, of, of a whole mass of evolving weather systems. And this, of course, um, it, it puts a huge amount of stress on the navigators because it's the navigators that will actually sit with the skippers and, and make the decisions as to where they enter a specific weather system, where they've got to exit the weather system, all designed to stay, to keep the boat in the high-pressure area, in the wind, and uh, to, to get you out quickly. And that one, of the, one of the issues, for example, that they do face is the doldrums, and that's been known to bog teams down for, uh, you know, for sometimes weeks on end. And amazingly, this year, they, they were into the doldrums and out the doldrums in, in two days, it's uh, tremendously exciting, and uh, we had we had all seven seven teams arriving sort of within within the, the same weekend. Uh, so, and in fact, the last three teams there was barely minutes between them. So, terrifically exciting, yes. Yeah, I mean, between one and two, uh, less than three hours as well, which, uh, as you say, after 19 days of sailing, uh, three hours is absolutely nothing. So all crews are in Cape Town at the moment. The boats are undergoing a bit of maintenance. Uh, There's some excitement around as well because uh, they head out, I think, on the 10th of December. But there's going to be some incredible sailing between now and then. I I think you you mentioned to me before we uh, caught up uh, this evening that uh, the the teams will be sort of reassembling this weekend. And uh, there's there's some exciting things uh, in store for Cape Town over the next week. Absolutely, Brad. Yeah, the, the, the guys were obviously, the, the teams are all exhausted. Uh, you know, the 7,000 nautical marks takes its toll mentally and physically. So uh, the, the boats have all been winced out of the water. It was the map freight, it was the Spanish boat that, that won the leg ahead of Dongfong Racing and uh, Vestas 11th Hour Racing in third place. But all the boats, all seven boats are now out of the water, on the, on the cradles uh, in the boatyard. And they, they're getting a bit of TLC. And during this period, the sailors, of course, get given time out to go and spend time with, with family and loved ones who, who this uh, over the next eight months, aren't going to be getting to see a lot of them. So they will be resting. And the, the plan is at the moment, for example, I took one of the crews this morning for, for a little hike up, up Lion's Head just to go and have a look at the, the city. And uh, some of the sailors have, have gone away for a weekend to, to game lodges with their families. But uh, the plan is on, is on early next week, the boats will be back in the water. And then on the 6th, there's a practice race. And this is when the teams go out and they actually fine-tune these, uh, these machines and, and get their heads back into the game, so to speak, back into racing. And in fact, uh, some interesting news, Brad, is that I'm going to be going out and racing in the Pro-Am race with Mapre, with a Spanish boat. I've been invited to go out and actually race with them in the practice race. So uh, it'll, uh, it'll be um, pretty pretty exciting to see what, uh, what happens on board there. And then after the practice race, there is the Pro-Am, which is really just a, a, a race around the, the, the boys in Table Bay where they get an opportunity to take major sponsors out and give them an experience of life on board uh, the Volvo Open 65s. 
And then, of course, the import race uh, on the Saturday. And then on, on Sunday, it is the restart where they will be uh, setting off on, on uh, a 7,000-odd uh, nautical mile journey to Melbourne uh, for the next leg. Brilliant. Jeff, uh, and, and uh, obviously the general public can't get onto the boats, but can they get close to these boats? Can they come and watch those races next week? Brad, absolutely. And, and apart from the races, you know, I've got to stress there's so much excitement happening down at the race village at the BNA Waterfront. The village is actually open now every single day this week. It's open on the weekend. It's open every day next week. And the race village is open from 8 in the morning until 10 p.m. at night. And there's a lot for the uh, for the fans to see. There's an Ocean Life Festival. There's, uh, there's a, a race boat experience where a fan can actually go and see a full-size Volvo Open 65. You can go and stand on board and, and everything's to scale. You can actually see what the home looks like and, and where the sailors sleep and you can get to experience one of these boats. There's a globe where you can hear more about um, the, the sort of work that's been done on you know, on keeping the oceans clean as well as seeing footage of, of the Volvo Ocean Race. There's a Volvo Pavilion. There's shops where you can go and look at all the team merchandise. And as you said, they are welcome to go and have a look at these boats. They are, they'll be lined up on the quayside. And it really is, you know, the, the top, top, top end of the sport. And the beautiful thing about, about the, the cruise is, uh, unlike some of the Formula One rock stars, um, you know, the, the world's best sailors are all here and they are accessible to the public. You can go and chat to them. They're really happy to, happy to mingle and to talk to the public. It sounds brilliant. Jeff, uh, I'm definitely going to make a, a plan to get down there and uh, come and check them out. Uh, Jeff, thanks for your time this evening here on SAFN Sports Trap. I'm sure we'll chat next week uh, before the, the crews head out uh, to Melbourne. But, uh, yeah, thanks for, for that. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, for keeping on the action. Thanks, Brad. I look forward to it. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. This is South Africa's news and information leader, The Ashes. Test one done and dusted uh, at the Gabba. It went down to the fifth day, just into the fifth day, but I think England must be uh, super frustrated because they had Australia on the ropes a couple of times and they just were not able to uh, put them away. And Australia bounced back. Fantastic day four for the Aussies. Uh, and that's it. One nil up in the format series. We're joined now uh, by cricket journal Tom Seisland. Uh, Tom, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Thanks for your time. You must be pretty disappointed. I know you're a big England fan. Uh, England had had opportunities and they they didn't use them. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Um, yeah, England <laughs> they were well in it for a couple of days, and Australia just got it right at the critical times. And I don't think the ten wicket victory was a particularly fair reflection of the result, but it does certainly show how clinical Australia were at the right time. And now they've got their tails up, and it could very well be a long series for England. And I guess that's test cricket for you. There's moments in a match where where it can go either way, and if you don't take those opportunities, they lost. And and like you say, I think England overall probably had the better of Australia, but the Aussies just dominated those little key moments, particularly on day four, early on day four, and that was it. Yeah, well, um, the big difference was Steve Smith. I mean, something the English couldn't do was score a century. You know, they were... There were some promising half-centuries, um, ironically from the rookies. I mean, it was David Milan, Mark Stoneman, James Vince. Those were the ones stepping up and getting 50s. But the big scores from the big guys like Alistair Cook and Joe Roots, that, that was lacking. But then you've got Steve Smith, the Aussie skipper, leading by example. I mean, 141 not out. And it wasn't a brash innings at all. It was very well measured. It was actually his slowest ever test century, which just goes to show how measured that was and how crucial it was to Australia. That really was the difference. The big man stepping up when it really counted. 
from a bowling performance, I think England will be also very disappointed. They had the Aussies uh, on the ropes and they just weren't able to, to, to bowl them out. I mean, there was a stage in that first innings where they, they could have had possibly a 50-60 run lead. But uh, yeah, they just, uh, it, they just weren't, as you said, they just weren't clinical enough. Yeah, well, I think that was one of the major to- um, talking points leading up to this series is that England lack a bit of pace in general. And Australia are all about pace with Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins. And that actually did end up playing a big role. I mean, if you look at guys like Chick Ball and Chris Wokes, they don't quite have that extra yard of pace that guys like Stark and Cummins had, and they struggled. Wokes and Ball didn't have good games, and they had to rely on Anderson for a bit of reverse swing. And even all his experience just wasn't enough in the end. And uh, I dare say they were missing Ben Stokes, because Stokes, when the ball is swinging and reversing, he can get a little bit of extra pace and deceive the batsmen, and they just sort of, they lack a bit of an X-factor in the bowling attack. Talking Ben Stokes, obviously he's not there because of uh, that incident uh, involving uh, a night out on the town. That was a lot of the talk uh, after the, the, the or at the post-match press conference, uh, and didn't involve Ben Stokes, but uh, England's uh, in, in difficult territory. I mean, they, especially with what's happened, you'd think they'd know better. Yeah, well, it's an interesting news saga now with Stokes is that he's uh, reportedly gone to New Zealand to play a, a club cricket game or a state cricket game. Um, I don't know whether that's just to get some cricket under his belt and to try and sort of move on from the incident that happened or whether he's just close by just in case. Because, I mean, it's, it could very well be desperate times for England and uh, they really have missed someone like Stokes, someone stepping up in the at the back of the middle order and someone to come in and steam in and bowl, you know, they really lacked that X factor in that match and uh, Stokes is normally that man. There's not too much time to regroup. Next test gets underway this weekend in Adelaide under lights, which will be quite interesting as well. Uh, where to from here from England? I mean, one all down in a four-match series. It's not a five-match series. It's important to remember that. They, they are under the pump. The, the pressure is firmly on. Yeah, well, as you said, I mean, it's... It, England are the ones that are under serious pressure now, and there's such a short turnaround that Australia have got all the momentum with them. And obviously there was that incident with Johnny Bairstow as well, where he supposedly head-busted Cameron Bancroft. Um, I think that's be, that has been blown out of proportion, but Australia have used that to advantage, their advantage. I mean, they got under Bairstow's skin. And I think the England team in general are feeling, a, you know, they're, they're struggling now after that first test performance. And Without much time to recover, you know, this uh, second test could be over before you even know it. And, of course, also, it's a day-night test, uh, which Australia have done very well uh, so far in the short history of it in their own backyard in Adelaide, especially. I mean, they beat the Proteas quite convincingly. And um, I think they're going to feel very confident of doing it again with the pink ball against him. Yeah, I mean, the Aussies are masters of, of getting inside your, your head and, and under your skin. I mean, Darren Lehman's been quoted saying that the, the Adelaide pitch is the fastest in Australia. And you mentioned uh, the difference in the bowling attacks. Uh, that's not going to fill England with too much confidence going into this one. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, Steve Waugh termed it 20-odd years ago, the mental disintegration. And the Aussies are still very good at it. I mean, they were all the... They were the only ones providing any of the trash talk. I mean, the English tried to stay as quiet as they can. But it's worked out in the end for the Australians. I mean, the English, they looked a bit rattled there, you know, and uh, none of the big guys could step up and score runs. It was down to the less senior guys. And when they were suddenly in good positions, especially Stoneman and Vince, who are sort of on 60 and 80, they couldn't quite push on. And uh, I think the, Auss- the Aussies just, just gradually wear this English team down 
Um, I heard that Besto took a lot of uh, verbal beating from the Aussies, and they they claim that that's why he struggled. And uh, it's just continued in the post-match conferences as well. You can see there's a cheeky grin on Steve Smith's face and Cameron Bancroft's face when they talk, and they're, they're in a very good mood at the moment, and uh, they won't stop. Yeah, and that's the thing. They just don't let that pressure off. The game's over, but, uh, yeah, the off-the-field stuff continues between matches. Australia, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I can't expect too many changes there. But for England, do you see a change in personnel for this weekend? I can't see the, the side tinkering too much. Um, I think there was talk potentially of Ben, ben Folks coming into the side, uh, the replacement wicketkeeper. He's actually a very handy batsman and they rate him as the best gloveman in the country. But um, I doubt they're going to change things too much. I mean, they don't have many options to to look at in the bowling department because everyone's injured. Um, I think Tom, Tom Curran would be next in line and he's actually got a bit of extra pace. So... If they did want to try and go with a bit of extra pace, Tom Curran would probably be the leading candidate to maybe replace someone like Jake Wolf. But I doubt they'll want to tinker with their team too much. And if they do, the Aussies are going to pounce on that because they're going to be like, oh, right, okay, so you weren't happy with your team in the first test. And now you're making changes. Let's dig into them. <laughs> the masters of that game, aren't they? Tom Sizeland, thank you very much for your time this evening here on SAFM Sports Wrap. Much appreciated. Uh, we look forward to catching up uh, about the next one uh, sometime soon. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brad. I mean, that could be very soon. We could, we could be talking <laughs> again in a few days' time. Absolutely. Take care, mate. <laughs> You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. It is uh, four minutes to seven o'clock. You're listening to SAFM Sports Wrap. Springbok coach Alistair Goodsee has called on his side to show improvement in their last test of the Castellaga outbound tour when they come up against Wales in Cardiff on Saturday. Goodsee says it's important that they keep their discipline intact while also focusing on little improvements in certain areas of their game. Yeah, I think we're getting better. I think we're getting better uh, and it starts with our discipline. You know, in the Northern Hemisphere rugby, I think conceding silly penalties and soft penalties, you know, those freebies will uh, hurt you because you lose territory. You, you know, a position will kick for touch and they, they immediately on attack or in, in, in striking distance from your try line or they get points, you know. So so you feel that scoreboard pressure and ter- territorial pressure immediately if you, uh, uh, if you don't work at that and you're not accurate. Uh, so, so that's one lesson learned. And obviously also uh, the way we want to play in the right areas, it's been a massive improvement in that. Uh, we do get uh, a lot of lineouts in 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 the right side of the field, which shows that uh, you know the kicking plan is is, is actually getting better. Um, yeah, I, I think those are the little things that will give you the consistency. Uh, also, the combinations in the team, uh, and I said it last week that it was one of our best uh, uh, forward performances and one of the best. <laughs> um, like we did little things right. Uh, technically, uh, we were good at uh, at breakdown time. You know, it's just an awareness of of uh, of the detail at breakdown time that is improving. It's easy to chase in and just to remove bodies, but it's how effective you remove the body, and, and that has improved. Katia's warned of the danger that uh, Wales pose, especially after running New Zealand close last weekend, and that his Springbok side will have to be at their best if they are to be successful in Cardiff. There are things, work-ons every week, and there will be work-ons for Wales as well, because we're playing against a very good uh, Welsh team. Uh, I think uh, uh, 
fantastic coaching staff, uh, you know, with Warren Gatland, the British and Irish Lions coach, you know, he's a astute coach and they uh, played well. Uh, if you look at the games, the game that I've looked at, uh, uh, the New Zealand game, you can see what they do. You know, it's a quality side. So we have to be at our best again this weekend. Meanwhile, Wales have had uh, some selection issues. Locked Jake Ball and flanker Justin Tepurik, uh both ruled out due to injury. Scrum half Reese Webb uh, must pass concussion protocols. They have been buoyed, though, with the news uh, that loose forwards Talupe Felato uh, has been released by his club Bath uh, and will be available to play despite this test falling outside of World Rugby's test window. So that is a bit of good news for Wales as well. And that's about it for this evening's show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. We're back again tomorrow at 6.30. We'll have more sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live with Janet Witten. Make sure you tune in then. If you have any comments, suggestions or questions, you can email us, sport at safm.co.za. You can also reach out via social media. Just search for at SAFM Radio. Thank you very much to my team in Johannesburg uh, this evening, Loyolo and uh, Babawa. Thank you f- uh, also to uh, everyone and you particularly for listening. Coming up on the other side of your 7 o'clock news it is the talk shop right now though uh from myself brad brown have yourself a great evening it is seven o'clock and time for your news